Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast where we take a song, and we do a thing, and you listen to it, and it's all kinds of fun. I'm pretty sure it's fun. I hope it's fun. Anyway, I'm uh, Claude Cole, and maybe I've been listening to too much of Mark Maron this week. I don't know. Hey, if this podcast isn't enough of me for you, well, come find me on Twitter at HowGoodItIsPod, or... You can leave a comment on the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some additional trivia, follow-ups, and other stuff that I found interesting. And don't forget to check out and follow the show's Facebook page, which I can see is steadily growing in popularity. Thank you so much. It's over at facebook.com slash ow, how good it is pod. Kim Carnes has been making music for literally her entire life. She's one of those artists who became an overnight success after many years of hard work. Kim had been writing songs for several years and was already 25 years old when she finally scored a publishing deal with producer Jimmy Bowen. She spent some of her demo recording time with some of the other writers in Bowen's stable, including J.D. Souther and future Eagles Glenn Fry and Don Henley. In 1971, she sang this song called Nobody Knows for the closing credits of the film Vanishing Point. Around the same time, she got together with Jimmy Bowen and the writer of Nobody Knows, a guy named Mike Settle, to create a bubblegum group called the Sugar Bears. That was a very specific choice of band name since their music was used to sell Super Sugar Crisp cereal, which you can buy nowadays as Golden Crisp. The band released three tracks, including this one, called You Are The One, which peaked at number 83 on the Billboard chart. Now, if you're of a certain age, it's possible that you had this record, but you didn't listen to it on vinyl. This was in that era when uh, Post Serials was putting records on the back of their cereal boxes, and the paperboard that made up the box was coated with a special plastic that had the record groove stamped into it, and you literally cut out the side of the box with your mom thanking goodness for the inner lining bag, and you put this cardboard record on your record player, and you played it. Now, because they were so cheaply made, they had a tendency to warp into a taco shape before long, and they had this slick surface that made them actually pretty tough to play. And when you could play them, well, they didn't sound that great anyway, so you really couldn't get more than a couple of plays out of them. But if you liked the song enough, well, you might be able to pester your parents into buying the vinyl version. In the early 70s, Carnes and her husband Dave Ellington co-wrote some songs with David Cassidy, who was a huge international star at the time, and they also toured with him as his opening act. She appeared on three of his albums as both a songwriter and a backup singer. Carnes released her first solo album in 1972, but it wasn't until the near the end of that decade, in 1978, that she finally scored a top 40 single of her own, when Gene Cotton recruited her to duet with him on a cover of her own song, You're a Part of Me. I'd like to live out all my dreams And if I could, yes, if I could The nicest one would be with you And you'd be here with me 
Don't you ever get lonely Lord, I'm no good when you're away But what do you expect from a girl Who loves you like I love you You're You're a part of me, peaked at number 36 on the Billboard chart. And while she was pretty well known in the music community, Kim Carnes didn't really enter the public eye until 1980 when she paired up with Kenny Rogers on his song, Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer. This song became a hit on three different charts, topping out at number four on the pop chart, number three on the country chart, and number two on the adult contemporary chart. And that same year, this track went to number 10 on the pop chart, making it her first top 10 solo hit. It's a cover of Smokey Robinson's More Love. Smokey was really impressed with this recording, and, and I got to agree with him. I think this is actually better than Smokey's version. In fact, Smokey was so impressed that he wrote another song specifically for her, but his producer insisted that he record it instead. Smokey Robinson told the Huffington Post in 2014 that the record that went to number one for me was a demo for Kim. 1981 is the year that Kim Carnes released her biggest album, the Grammy-nominated Mistaken Identity, and its lead-off single, Betty Davis Eyes, was a huge hit internationally and the second biggest hit of 1981, only barely edged out by Olivia John, uh, Newton-John's Physical. But let's back up for a bit, because like so many songs I've talked about here, Betty Davis' eyes didn't start with Kim Carnes. The song was written by Jackie DeShannon and Donna Weiss in 1974, and as you can hear here, it was recorded in this kind of 1920 jazz style by DeShannon. Jackie DeShannon says that she was inspired to write the song after watching the Betty Davis movie Now Voyager. Weiss sent the demo to Carnes, who, along with producer Val Garay, came, with, uh, came up with a new arrangement for the song. 
Carnes also gives a lot of credit to her keyboardist, Bill Cuomo, for making contributions to the arrangement and particularly the chord changes. And it's Cuomo playing that synthesizer. That's an early model called the Sequential Circuits Prophet 5. Now, there are a couple of lyrics in the song that might bear a little bit of discussion. The first is that opening line, her hair is Harlow gold. That's a reference to the actress Jean Harlow, the original uh, blonde bombshell actress from the 1930s, who unfortunately died quite young from a kidney infection. Her last film, called Saratoga, was completed with both a body double and a voice double for her lines, and it was done well enough that you'll actually have a hard time figuring out which scenes have the replacements. The other debate over the lyrics is regarding a line from the chorus, specifically in the line, is it the line, what it takes to make a crow blush, or is it what it takes to make a pro blush? Well, they're both right. Jackie DeShannon's version uses the word crow because the phrase, he could make a crow blush, means he's so good at embarrassing someone that he could make a jet black creature turn red. It's an old idiom, and it was common uh, many years ago, and it fits in well with the old-time sound of that recording. But Carnes sings it as make a pro blush, which gives a little bit of a nod toward embarrassing a hooker. But the fact is that the person who wrote down the lyrics for Carnes appears to have just made a mistake probably because they weren't familiar with the phrase. As I mentioned before, the album Mistaken Identity was nominated for a Grammy, but Betty Davis Eyes actually won two of them for Song of the Year and Record of the Year. And as far as the chart action, well, the song went to number one the week of May 16, 1981, and stayed there for five weeks. The song that replaced it on June 27th was that Stars on 45 medley. The week after that, Betty Davis Eyes reclaimed the number one spot and held it for another four weeks. That's nine weeks total in the top spot out of 26 weeks, six months total on the Hot 100 chart. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod or you can check out and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or, geez, so much, you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. And next time around, we're going to discover how good it is when you've lost that love and feeling. Wait, that's not good, is it? I, I guess we'll find out. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you then. Bye.